Welcome. I want to thank you all for being here this morning, and I want to acknowledge really quickly that we all come uh, to services in different places. So I know that each of you are mentally in different places. Some of you are celebrating today, some of you are struggling today, some of you are mourning today and grieving. So it it creates this kind of strange dichotomy, I think. Uh, Oftentimes kind of wonder about that whenever I'm sitting out here, like, you know, some of us are just really happy and some of us are really struggling to find hope. And so I just want to acknowledge that, um, that we're all here in different places. Um, But we believe that God calls us here uh, each Sunday to show us his grace and his love. And um, if you're struggling uh, right now to believe that fully, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, We come and we believe that God is perfect, and it's not the measure of our faith. It's the object of our faith that saves us, and he is perfect, and he's faithful. So I want to encourage you in that. Last week, Dave kicked off our uh, summer sermon series that we're doing in Proverbs, And if you were here, you might remember uh, that he talked about wisdom being scandalous, and that's kind of the theme of the series, is that God's wisdom is scandalous. It's scandalous to our very nature uh, because we don't want to trust God. Uh, We've been, uh, since the fall, uh, not trusting God completely and struggling with that. And so verse 7 last week, uh, 1 verse 7 was uh, kind of the main emphasis, and that's that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so I want to pick up kind of on that theme. I came across an illustration reading an article last week, um, and it uh, goes like this. So imagine a sailor, and he's new to a ship, and he's confused as to where the ship is heading. It's nighttime, and the ship's... Movements don't square up with the training that he has to use the North Star as a guiding point. So confused, he goes to the captain. He says, Captain, where are we going? And the captain says, we do things a little differently on this ship. See that lantern up on the bow? That's our guiding light. That's how we're making our way across the sea. Guiding a ship by a reference point that's on the ship means that ship is adrift, voyaging to nowhere. And this can create anxiety among the crew, obviously. So the point there is we need a greater reference point that's outside of ourselves and outside of our world. And this is why we study the scriptures each week. This is why we seek to be guided by by God and our wisdom. So today's sermon, I'm calling Enticing Hope. So most of uh, your Bibles will have a a heading for this section called the enticement of sinners. And enticement is a verb that means to attract artfully by arousing hope or desire to tempt. But I want to go, before we go to dig into Proverbs, I want to go back to the beginning. And I want to read really quickly from, uh, from Genesis Uh, Chapter 3, and I'll just read a little bit here. So if you remember, Satan's come to Eve, and he's tempting her. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it 
lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So as we see very, very early on in the beginning, we were tempted, we were allured, we um, were attracted artfully to arouse hope in being like God and having knowledge like him. So that's nothing new. Uh, It's eternal. And these types of things are what gives me assurance whenever I'm tempted by the voices out there, especially in our modern world, to say, oh, the Bible is just a really ancient uh, book. It might have had wisdom for ancient people back then, but it has no relevance to the modern world and modern life. Um, This stuff gives me assurance because we haven't figured it out. We're just the same as we ever were. Um, And so this scandalous Bible uh, that we learned about last week, um, let's see what it has for us today. So if you will, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs. Chapter 1 will be in verse 8 through 19 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one, there should be a black Bible in the underneath of the seat in front of you. And it'll be page 527 in that Bible. Page 527. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself, please take that. We want you to have it. We really do. So please take it with you. Let me turn there. It happens to be page 527 in my Bible. All right. We're going to read this together. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Um, So we believe that God's word is supernatural. We believe that he speaks to us um, with authority through that and that we need his Holy Spirit to help us to receive that and to understand it. And so I want to pray uh, for us that God would be with us. So will you pray with me? 
Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us that you do not leave us alone, adrift uh, in an ocean with only ourselves uh, to guide us. We would never make it to the shore. So thank you for providing wisdom, giving it to us in your grace. And um, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be here with us, be in this place, protect our minds from any distractions that would come in and rush in and try to tease us away from what you're trying to tell us. I pray for um, your message to be clearly given and clearly received. We pray for your spirit to be with us. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right. So most of the text that we'll be talking about is being enticed or attracted to false hopes. Um, But it starts off uh, here in verses 8 and 9 with the father calling out to his son and and saying, you know, hear me, uh, listen to this. It's going to be good. Um, He says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I think as modern people, we can kind of read the text really quickly a lot of times. And so I kind of just want to slow it down for us and realize that this is God's compassion as a father saying, listen, listen, I want your life to be better. Um, So the Proverbs, I think Dave kind of touched on that last week. Proverbial wisdom, these Proverbs are instructions and they weren't uncommon in the ancient world. Um, you might say common sense in a lot of ways. And so we can gather um, instructions in this. This is actually the first book of the Bible that I read straight through. Uh, I think I was between eighth grade and, and freshman year of high school. But back then, I, I was studying, I think, more to be religious than I was to understand Jesus. And so I was looking for practical things that I could do to be a, a good kid. Uh, or to be wise. And so this proverbial wisdom, while it it can make our lives easier, um, people who live wisely tend to be winsome people. Those are the types of people you want on your team, people who show up on time, people who are honest, uh, people who work hard. Um, So it can lead to good things in life, but ultimately it's not the main premise of this this story and what God's calling us to wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Um, it's a way that God actually gives common grace to our world, I believe, through proverbial wisdoms that are, are true throughout time and history. And so these garlands, these pendants uh, in this context would have been seen kind of like a, a prince, um, or you might think of a gold medalist winning an award it's a, a place of honor. It's, it's like, wow, that person has done well in their life, and they're receiving this honor. And so he's saying, this wisdom will make you esteemed and attractive to the world. But then he jumps into these warnings. Um, so when, when Dave asked me to preach this, he was like, it's a warning text, so it's going to be a little, a little different. Uh, I was like, great, Thanks. But uh, <laughs> Joey, does Dave have a habit of leaving town whenever there's a hard text? Or... <laughs> no, just kidding. It's it is interesting though, and I I wondered 
the whole time I'm studying it, going, why did he put this right here? So he starts off, you know, like wisdom. It's it's an introduction to Proverbs. So the first nine chapters will really be this was a micro introduction, and then we're moving into these kind of bigger poems about wisdom and the importance of wisdom and introducing us to that. But why did he start with a story about robbers on the side of the road? Um, why is this at the front, front-loaded um, before all the other uh, warnings that we'll get? And I, I scratched my head about it a bunch, and I, I don't know exactly why, but I think it's, it's universal in all of us, um, and I hope, hope we can kind of flesh that out and see that. Um, so the first kind of point... Um, that I want to make is the enticement, the enticing hope of strength. And so what they're calling out here in verses 10 through 13 are, he's, he's warning against is, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. So this enticement comes from when we see our own, our own selves as wise, we drift away from God's wisdom. We start to rely on our own strength, our own wisdoms. And so it's easy for us modern people to read this and go, this sounds like something out of a pirate movie. Um, none of us are really going to wait on the side of the road with clubs and go beat people to death uh, and take their things. There might be some of you who have been tempted to join these types of violent gangs, but most of us probably not in this room. Um, and so I want to pull in other ways that, that we might rely on our strength. Um, we might be stronger physically. Um, we might be quicker witted than other people, um, faster at debate being able to put people in their place, make them feel awkward so that we win the, win the day, uh, win the argument. We might be intellectually superior. We might be physically attractive, have more charisma, so on and so on. Each one of us has been gifted with something that makes us strong. Uh, and the danger there is relying on our own strength. When we rely on our own strength... Um, we become self-righteous, and that blinds us to how we really are weak and not ultimately strong. I want to read a quote that I actually added in this morning um, from C.S. Lewis. Um, I apologize. I don't exactly know where it's from, but it's from C.S. Lewis, so you can look up the context. But um, He says, remember, as I said, the right direction leads only to peace. Wait, leads not only to peace, but to knowledge. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows that he's not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, proverbial wisdom. Really, you understand sleep when you're awake not when you're sleeping. So the warning there is to not be blind to our own strengths and then use that to take advantage of others, to plunder them, to destroy them. Really, to put them in the pit was to cancel them, to make them no more, 
And so that's what they were really attempting to do there. Sinners, uh, the Hebrew handling of this word sinners, because we can look at it and go, who, who are the sinners? We're all sinners. But in this text, he's referring to hardened people. And so just like Lewis had just told us, hardened people are no longer attempting to be good. But now they're teaming up and they're recruiting others to be with them and to join with them in their bad behaviors. So that first warning is don't rely on your own strength and be like the hardened sinners who rely on their own strength to take advantage of others. The second enticement that we come to is the enticing hope of identity. So the verses that we have here are 14 and 15 and 16. They say, throw in your lot among us. We will, have, we will all have one purse. So come join us. Come be part of our tribe. And he says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. The call right now in our culture is to make an identity for yourself. Choose one. Pick a team. And then defend that. And there's a danger that we need to be aware of that's floating around us right now. So when we find a group of people who help us to justify ourselves, our self-wisdom, we can be tempted to put our hope in that identity um, or that tribe, that stronghold. And if we find ourselves in a group whose ultimate value is the identity of that group in that man-made wisdom, um, that can create a tendency for us to want to strongly defend that. And sometimes that does include violence. And I think we, we see that in our world today. So the application on, on this one is to not be enticed of an identity or to throw your lot in with those who are calling you to join our tribe, come defend it, even if it takes violence. So what are you tempted What are you tempted by of an identity? It could be religious. Um, It could be starting out good, but when it becomes ultimate, it can carry us away with it. Um, Anything that is from a source other than what the identity God has given you um, is a dangerous one. So that's the second warning. I forgot to set my timer. I have no idea. (laughs) Dave makes this look easy. Um, So the third false hope that I want you to see um, is the enticing hope of escaping judgment. So we see here verses 17 um, through 19. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So it's interesting. He uses this illustration of a bird. Um, Dave talked about how the Hebrew really pulls out the word simple um, a lot throughout Proverbs, um, where you have the simple 
person, the simple-minded, don't be a fool or a foolish person. The father uses this illustration of a simple animal, a bird brain, really. Um, no offense to birds, I love them. But you get the, the saying there. Even a bird knows that if there's a trap spread for it, not to land there. Um, and so you can't trap a bird by having a trap that's obvious. That's what he's saying there. But then he's saying, these people aren't even as smart as a bird. They don't even see the trap that they're lying for themselves um, by doing these things. But the enticement here, I think, is that they think they're getting away with it. Until they're trapped, until the judgment for the foolishness comes to them, they think they're getting away with it. And so the warning here is against thinking our decisions won't catch up to us. Um, The enticement is that we will escape judgment by becoming the judge. And so if we judge good and evil, as we saw Satan telling Eve that she could do, then we think we're escaping judgment. Sin always wants justification. It must have it, and it will have it. Self-justification will end in death. So that leaves us kind of in a bad place. But there was one who came, and he lived perfectly, and he died for us. All of us who put our, our trust in him, he satisfied that judgment. And so we have this grace that gives us a way out of this cycle that started with Adam and Eve of not trusting God and trusting ourselves. He deserved the greatest garland. He deserved the greatest honor, but he was given a crown of thorns. So each of these false hopes, they could also be seen as as strongholds. Um, A stronghold, you might think of an old city they used to build up um, walls, and that was their way to protect against intruders. So the outside world, the wilderness, was a very dangerous place, and so they built walls to make strongholds, and that's what they put their hope in. And so we build strongholds of our strength, of our identity, or of our ability to escape judgment, and we think that they're going to give us peace and comfort and security. But these are all false hopes. They fail regularly, and I think we all know that. I mean, we all have had our strength fail um, I know the older I get, the more my strength fails, the more things don't work properly. Um, We've all had a people group or a tribe let us down, um, disappoint us and fail us. Um, Some of you have had churches that have let you down and failed you. Um, Those fail. And judgment will find us. We know that from our lives lived, that judgment does find us. It's a scary place to be out there in the wilderness, um, depending on weak strongholds. So in in this text, we've had a father that is warning about some of the enticements that his son will encounter in the world. And we live in an age where there are enticements everywhere, um, Everywhere we look, every screen we look at, and um, I was, these 
numbers were really sobering when I looked them up. Um, I hope they are to you too. The average American spends 17.5 hours a week on social media and 21 hours a week watching TV. It's higher in younger people than that. Um, Our church services here at Grace are usually about an hour and a half a week. And so that made me really think about it. Um, Where am I looking for wisdom? Where, what am I listening to? Like, do, are we Googling spiritual advice? Are we looking to our tribes on social media to give us security and strength, um, comfort and peace? And I just want to encourage us that God's wisdom is the only place we'll truly find peace. And we can take assurance that it's been that way forever. Every generation, we're not greater because we live in a modern time. Um, that's a chronological snobbery, as I think Lewis used to say. Um, so we're not, we're not really any smarter. We've, we've not changed any. So take heart in that. So with all these sources of information and wisdom, uh, that can be overwhelming. It can be anxiety Driven, And I think we see that. We live in what's called the age of anxiety, um, when there's so many choices. I mean, you can even feel that going to shop for toothpaste at the grocery store. It's like, I don't know which one to choose. We had a friend uh, visit from another country once, and they were like, why do y'all have so much stuff? If you need deodorant, you should just go get it and not have to have a whole aisle of it to choose from. Um, but seriously, the choices for wisdom the choices for security, the choices for identity are almost endless in the world that we live in. It's noisy, and it's, it creates anxiety. I know at times I struggle with anxiety, um, and I need to be rooted back uh, to something outside of myself and outside of the world that's not spinning constantly. Um, so I want to kind of take us back to that, that imagery of that ship floating around, with the light on the bow, thinking that it's going somewhere when it's set adrift. Whenever we have a North Star, when we have God's wisdom to look to, when we have God to pray to, when we have something greater and higher, we can become a non-anxious presence on the boat, if you were. Um, we cannot have fear in the midst of chaos. I think if we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus on the boat, not having fear. We can be like him. That takes the redemptive work of Christ in us to work on us um, through his word, through his spirit. We can have peace. And whenever we, we are that non-anxious presence on the boat, we can show others. We can tell them, hey, look up. Look up. There's something that's not moving. It hasn't moved since the beginning of time, it's there. It's bigger than, than what we have here. This leads us to, to peace in Christ. And so Jim, I, I went probably pretty fast, but if you're ready, uh, Jim's going to come up and lead us through communion. Um, and communion is really a, a great time to think about what we're putting 
our hope in, where our wisdom is falling and where it's lying and what we're trusting in.